Good morning, New Life. I brought a little guest up here today to help me greet you all. We are glad that you're joining us this morning. Um, it's nice to see your faces. For those of you who are here in the worship center with us, we know many of you are watching online. We welcome you and those of you that are joining us on the patio. So thank you to everyone who's worshiping with us this morning. If you are new, if this is your first time, um, we would love to meet you, just say hi, have a friendly face. So if you can come to one of our connection counters after the service, we have a gift for you. Um, there's two inside the lobby, and then there's one on the patio. So we would just love to, like I said, meet you. We have a little present that we will give you, and we can answer any questions that you have about new life. Okay, um, do you want to tell everybody your name? Um, I'm Madeline. This is Madeline, and she is very excited to be up here today. Um, so we have a couple things we want to share with you. One is that um, I think you all know that Christmas Eve is coming up, but in case you didn't, we are less than 10 days away, which is crazy. So one week from today, um, we will be having our Christmas Eve services. We have three services that day. So if you are a 9 a.m.er, we will still have our 9 a.m. service. If you come to the 11, we will still have the 11. And we are adding a 1 o'clock service that day. So we are going to have three services. We will have a lot of people coming onto our campus, many for the first time. So we need a lot of people to help us out that day, just to be a friendly face. You can help with greeting. You can help with being an usher and getting people to their seats, especially when they're unfamiliar with our campus. Um, and we are going to have childcare only for five and under. So if you want to help with the kids, that would be wonderful. But we do need your help. So um, we're encouraging as many people as possible to attend one service and then volunteer in another service. And our biggest need does anybody have a guess which of those three would be our biggest need for helpers? The one o'clock, yes. And I do think a lot of people are going to come to one o'clock. There's going to be a lot of people who eat lunch and then come with their family after lunch. So if you are maybe attending the 11 and want to help at the one, that would be fantastic. And um, when you see Joanna today, don't avoid her because she has a clipboard and she is ready to sign you up to help us. So um, please come and be ready to help on Christmas Eve. Um, but yeah, we do need lots of help on Christmas Eve. So another thing as we are getting ready for Christmas is that we are in the season of Advent. So Madeline, what is something that we get at Advent at church? Uh, we get our Advent box, which has candles, some candy, and a book, and um, a Christmas Eve card. Uh-huh, and some pretty stickers. Yeah. And what was missing in the box this year? The ornament. The ornament. So every year we have a custom designed, um, Pastor Elena is really gifted with design and she makes an ornament that is just for new life. So this year the ornaments weren't here when it was time to pack up the boxes, but we do have them now. So if you got an advent box and your ornament wasn't in it, they're very beautiful and we have them today on the connection counter on the patio. So just come out there, tell us you had an advent box. Um, we have our little list and we will make sure you get your ornament so you can put it on your tree at home. And if you would like to follow with us through Advent, um, if on your bulletin at the bottom is the number that you can text. So you text ADVENT23 to 805-979-2003, and you will be texted prompts um, on how to follow along with us. So please text that number so you can follow with us um, through this last week of Advent. 
Um, okay. Are we talking about Christmas trees now? Okay. So um, when we joined our families together, there were lots of discussion, my husband and I, there was lots of discussions about the Christmas tree. Lots of discussions. I didn't realize two people could feel so differently about how to do the Christmas tree. But I grew up doing mine one way. He grew up doing his a different way. So we had to kind of figure out what we wanted to do as a family. Um, and one of those things was tree toppers. So we, what do we have on our tree? We have a bow. We have a bow. We have a ribbon bow on top of our tree, um, partially because our tree is almost rubbing against the ceiling, so there's not much else that's going to fit up there. But what else have you seen on other people's trees? I've seen stars. I've seen angels. Angels. Anything else? Do you, do you no. think people have other ideas of things they put on their trees? Yes. Okay. So as we prepare to worship this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand. And Madeline has a little assignment for you. What do you want everybody to do? Uh, I want you to look at someone next to you and talk about what you put on your Christmas tree. Okay. Thank you.
Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning. Lord, and as you said, God, let the kids, let the little children come to me, God. We are inviting our kids now, Lord, to lead us in worship, God. And as we celebrate this week of Advent, God, may we be childlike in our faith, God, remembering all you've done as we celebrate the joy of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, let's invite the kids up with a with round of applause. We just wanna thank you guys for leading us this morning. I don't know how many of you were here last year, but it's always, it's always a joy to, to have the, the kids lead us. And so we're gonna sing these next couple of songs. And uh, Pastor Dana, actually, it's a good reminder because sometimes we can just wanna, we just wanna watch the kids and just like, see what they're doing. And I encourage you to do that. But also, as, as Pastor Dana reminds us, allow them to lead you in worship this morning, all right? Can you guys just say amen to that? Allow them to lead you in worship, amen? It's gonna be awesome. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I don't think we've ever had a, a ukulele up here with the kids either. So this is a new instrument for them. It's pretty close. So that's gonna be fun. Are you guys ready to lead us in worship? Yeah, I'm gonna give you a couple more, couple more seconds. We're gonna get you all organized. It's gonna be great. Amen. Hey family, New Life family, can we just pray over the kids right now? Would you just extend a hand as we, as we just invite them to lead us in worship. Holy Spirit, God, would you just anoint these kids, God? God, would you just bless them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, God, as they lead us in worship, Lord, would they not only lead us, but outside of the walls of this church, God, would they take your name and would they make it known to their generation, Lord Jesus, in the years to come, God, make them leaders, God, help them just to press into your voice, Lord, to hear you in the midst of all the noise of this world, God. And as we sing this morning, God, thank you for the reminder of the joy that comes from kids, Lord Jesus. We cannot wait, Lord, to just sing together. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. All right, you guys ready? Let's do it.
guys ready? Joy to the world? Awesome. Let's sing it out. Let's lead them.
is not just the cutest, sweetest little picture of what heaven will be like. I don't know what it is. Uh, I was actually getting a little teary. I couldn't even see my own children, but just the whole, whole experience was adorable. Um, parents, if you can let the kids get all the way back into the Life Center or into their class, um, they can't let you pick them up until they are secured back in their spot. So give them a little bit of time to get back to their spots before you try to pick them up. Um, but I love that. That's one of my favorite things that we do. As we let the kids continue getting off stage, I'm going to go ahead and invite our ushers forward to receive the offering this morning. So we love this season. We love remembering um, that Jesus was born and anticipating Jesus coming. Um, That is what Advent is all about. And we have just lots of things that we want to make sure we do and celebrate during the season. And one of the things a lot of our men like to do is join here at 5.30 a.m. on Christmas Day for Christmas prayer. Um, So I have heard from several of our New Life men that that is one of their favorite experiences of the season. So especially those that have um, teenagers, they said that they'll come and do the prayer and they'll go home and they didn't miss anything because their teenagers are still asleep. So um, if you are one of our New Life men, come join us for prayer in the worship center at 5.30 a.m. on Christmas Day. We would love to have you be a part of that and just be praying um, for people's hearts that day and um, just thankful for Jesus. Um, We also have a Christmas market at New Life. So you've heard us talk about the food pantry before. That's something we always would appreciate your prayers for. Um, God works in incredible ways over at the food pantry. So if you've never been over there, I encourage you to go take a look. Um, They serve hundreds of families every week, just regularly throughout the year. But at Christmas time, we added the Christmas market and we've done this for a few years now. So the families get to come up. We have our normal pantry families that come through. And then we also have families that get invited through the school district to come and experience the pantry for the first time. So they walk through our food pantry first. And then once they um, have gotten the food for their family that they're able to pick and shop for themselves, they come through the cafe. So if you've never been over there, it's um, up the street. It's in the downstairs of the community center building. But they go in the cafe, and we have set up extra shopping for some household items and needs. And then we have blankets. And that is one of the top things that we are asked for is that people need and want blankets during the winter. So many of you contributed to that because we had lots of people take home the fleece blankets to tie the edges or sew the edges. We had many of you purchase blankets at Costco or wherever and bring them in. Um, So I wanted to give you a little update. I brought my phone up here because I wanted to make sure I get the numbers correct because they um, are pretty, pretty wild to see how God worked through this. So we were able to bless 552 families through the Christmas market. And with that, we gave out 1,793 blankets. So yeah, so thank you for all of you that helped. Um, I was blessed to be able to help out in the Christmas market and be one of the people that got to give out the blankets, which is one of the coolest jobs. Um, But I'm a little teary, give me a second. Um, One of the families that came in 
She's a young mom and she was holding her um, she was holding her youngest and then she also had another little preschool age child and so they were going through and she could not stop just expressing such joy and thankfulness as she went through the market and she just kept saying, I'm gonna cry, I'm gonna cry. So she was just surprised that this was available to her, um, that she didn't have to do anything to um, earn it, that it was just a gift for their family and that we let her two little kids pick out their own blankets um, that they got to have some ownership in that and that we made sure she, we told her, you still get a blanket for you because you know parents will sacrifice anything for their kids. So she thought because her kids each got a blanket that she didn't get one. So um, it was just really cool to see, goodness, I cannot pull it together between the kids and this. Okay, um, but I just thank you for everybody that contributed. I know we sent out an SOS email to many of you the last day because the pantries the shelves were bare and it was incredible to see how much food was dropped off for that last day when we had only told you less than 24 hours before that we needed more things. So thank you. Um, God is just doing such incredible things through through the pantry. Um, so thank you for your support of that and continuing to pray over that. Okay. Um, whew, goodness. Um, so I talked about Christmas Eve already and volunteering, and we have three services and all of that. But I know not all of us are listening when we do the welcome or are not quite here yet. So in case you missed it, we have a 9, 11, and a 1. Um, we'd love for you to attend one and serve at one if that is something you are able to do that day. So please come find us at a connection counter. And also we have a lot of invitations. So if you have a family or a friend or a neighbor that you want to invite to spend Christmas Eve at New Life, just grab a couple of those little cards and give them to somebody this week and tell them that you would love to see them on Sunday to join us. So um, as we continue to prepare for Christmas and all that we celebrate then, we are walking through Advent. And we have already lit two of our candles, um, hope and peace, and then we are going to be lighting the third candle today, and Pastor Nick's going to walk us through that. Amen. I would just invite you to open your hands, place them on your laps to receive this prayer from the Lord. And we're gonna have Abner and Jasmine, some of our New Life family, light the candle of joy while we pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, master of both the light and the darkness, send your Holy Spirit upon our preparations for Christmas. We who have so much to do seek quiet spaces to hear your voice each day. We who are anxious over many things look forward to your coming among us. We who are blessed in so many ways long for the complete joy of your kingdom. We whose hearts are heavy seek the joy of your presence. We are your people walking in darkness, yet seeking the light. To you we say, come Lord Jesus, as we light the candle of joy. We thank you, Lord, that you are among us and we celebrate the joy that you bring to our lives. Amen. Continue to quiet your hearts as we listen to this song for Advent as we prepare for the message.
And so, God, as we gather here today, we wait on you. We come with expectation. We come, God, ready to listen, to hear your word. God, we tune our hearts and our ears and our lives towards you. And we listen and we allow you to shape us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' powerful and mighty name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. So, where to start? What's your level of joy? Scale to one to ten. What is your level of joy? Like, if you, as you think about kind of where you are right now, what, where you are in this week, when you think about what's been going on over the, maybe the last year or the last couple of years, where would you pinpoint your level of joy? And maybe even more to the point, if you answered this question, my level of joy would go up if, fill in the blank. So my level of joy would go up if I got into the school that I wanted to get into. My level of joy would go up if I got the promotion. My level of joy would go up if that person that I've been eyeing from across the, the way actually asked me out and we got to go out on a date. My level of joy would go up if I got that new car. My level of joy would go up if I was actually able to find a place to rent on the Central Coast. My level of joy, like any number of things that you're going, all right, my level of joy would go up. And I think what we're talking about when we talk about joy is sometimes difficult because we identify more with the feelings of happiness than we do understand the contentment and satisfaction of joy. Happiness is this kind of feeling that we often chase. Happiness is connected to these identifiable feelings, though, that we're like, hey, you know, when I feel this kind of um, you know, this infusion of endorphins, when I feel this a sense of satisfaction or this excitement maybe is a better way of saying it, when I feel these, feel these feelings that produce something in me that says in this particular moment, all is good and all is right. But here's the challenge. Here is something that Jesus never said. Jesus never said to go chase happiness. In fact, Jesus never said go and do what makes you happy. And so maybe the question is, why? Why would Jesus say, never say something about chasing happiness? And why would he say, n- never say anything about um, uh, going and doing what makes me happy? And I think the truth is really hard for us to wrestle with. And here's the truth. The reason Jesus doesn't, tells, doesn't say anything about going and chasing happiness is because nothing will ever truly make you happy. Whoa, Merry Christmas to you, right? But here's what, here's what I mean by that. When we chase the feelings of happiness, we're constantly chasing what's next. So every time we get to a point where like, oh, I'm happy, you're really not because there's something else that you need to sustain that and you keep trying to one-up whatever that feeling is in order to find ways of sustaining Happiness. So sustaining pleasure, sustaining happiness, sustaining that sensation is actually incredibly difficult. And so Jesus never calls us 
to chase happiness, he calls us to experience joy. And he teaches into this idea of what joy is. Now, here's the rub for some of us. Um, Talking about joy versus happiness is like getting socks and underwear for Christmas, It feels really practical because what we're really familiar with or what we're excited about are the feelings of happiness and joy can feel like a secondary gift. But I'm here to tell you that joy is so much richer and deeper than that. Joy is the the pervasive and consistent state of well-being. Let me say that again. Joy is a pervasive and consistent state of well-being. And so joy pushes back against the prophet Mick Jagger. I can't get no satisfaction. Jesus comes along and says, I have the gift of joy. Joy doesn't fluctuate with the ebb and flow of life. And joy, if you're here today and you're saying, hey, I don't even know how to quantify or or how to connect to this idea of joy, one of the things that's important to know is that joy is connected to Jesus. But if joy is connected to Jesus, why don't we run to Jesus to experience joy, right? Right? Like if joy is connected to Jesus, why aren't we running to Jesus and saying, Jesus, will you help me figure out how to have this pervasive and consistent kind of uh, contentment in my life and satisfaction in my life, this, this state of well-being in my life? We don't run to Jesus. And so, again, another question for you to ponder this morning is, do you connect joy with Jesus? Do you honestly connect joy with Jesus? And I'm not sure that we do. Let me give you some examples. I have some pictures of Jesus, and I think there's some reasons why we do not connect joy with Jesus, because many of us, when we think of Jesus, we think of pictures like this. (laughs) He doesn't look too joyful, right? Stoic, maybe. That one eye, I'm not even sure what that's doing. That's kind of freaking me out. But... (laughs) But that's, that's kind of our image of Jesus. There's another one, and maybe even more, like, less stoic, more like almost angry, like angry Jesus. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't know. But, but when I think joy, um, and I see that, I'm going, hmm, I don't know, maybe, maybe joy. I, I don't know, I connect joy with that. We have a couple of others. Many of you, maybe, if you're like me, you had this picture of Jesus um, maybe growing up. It was over your table. My grandparents had this picture over their table, and maybe some of you. In fact, let's do a poll really quick. Anybody have this picture in your house or your grand? Yep, this was a common one, right? And, and, and I don't know. Like, I mean, it's European Jesus, first of all. That's, there's a challenge there. But, but, th- but then there's just this challenge of just understanding, like, what is Jesus? Is he just peaceful? Is he just, like, you know, just calm and peaceful all the time? And, and then we have pictures like this. I call this smoldering Jesus. <laughs> and so he doesn't look really joyful. I mean, but, like, I'm not sure what they're really going for there. But, like, yeah, Jesus, good-looking Jesus. I don't know. And then I had this family uh, in Michigan, and their name was the Wright family, sweetest people. They're awesome. They, I mean, they still send me and my kids birthday cards and, and just love on our family, and they're so sweet. And I remember going into their house for the very first time, and I was kind of surprised because I was like, um, wow, they, 
they like Bob Marley. And um, go to this next picture. For a long time, I thought that's what that was in their house. I was like, they like Bob Marley. <laughs> but, this, but this is why this is so disconnected for me because that's actually a picture of laughing Jesus. But when you see this picture, it's so disconnected from our understanding of Jesus that Jesus could actually be laughing like this, that we automatically, or at least for me, I automatically went to, who is that? And I tried to fill in the blank for who that was because I couldn't imagine it actually being Jesus because when I think of Jesus, I think of Stoic Jesus. When I think of Jesus, I think of that picture of Jesus you know, over my grandmother's table and I think of something like, like that. I don't often think of Jesus having this building up of joy and laughter when I think about him. But Jesus brings joy into our lives. And so I wanted to share an unexpected story maybe around Christmas time that maybe you weren't expecting today or maybe where you don't even at first see that there can be joy in this particular text or passage. But I was led to this text, and so we're going to roll with it. In John chapter 8, John is in the New Testament or the second half of the Bible. Um, John chapter 8, starting at verse 1, Jesus has a very unique encounter with two, uh, kind of a group of people and one individual. John chapter 8, starting at verse 1, says this. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer and he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in this dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now again, even in reading that story, you're like, okay, I see peaceful Jesus, I see, I see stoic Jesus, but I don't see necessarily Jesus bringing joy. And yet, I think there's this overflowing or this unearthing of joy within this particular text that is so vital for us to understand. And so let's go through a couple of details. First of all, this woman is caught in the act of adultery. This was not a rumor. This was not something that somebody said or, or so-and-so said something. No, these individuals literally caught her in the act of adultery. And that's a significant um, part of the story because not only is her maybe secret coming to the forefront, but she's brought out into the crowd in front of these religious teachers, in front of people who she probably knows. And 
assuming that, again, she is, um, was caught in the act of adultery, then she is probably half-clothed at best. And so there's this incredible level of shame that's going on, but there's also this level that she can't deny what is taking place. But I want you to look at two lies that are actually being um, uh, talked, not talked about, but are under the surface of this particular story. The first lie is something that I believe that this woman was chasing, that somehow you can purchase happiness rather than having to go to Jesus to produce joy. And I think what she was actually doing and what many of us do who find ourselves in similar situations is we go to look, how can we purchase happiness? How can we just have happiness for a particular moment? And so this woman who's caught in adultery obviously was searching for something that she could not find, searching for something that was not satisfying her, searching for something that was going to somehow make her world right. And what the Lord spoke to me this past week that was just like a, such a good reminder is that when we pursue happiness, so, and that is our sole purpose, it, again, there's nothing wrong with uh, feelings of happiness or something like that at a level or a certain measure, but when your sole pursuit is your particular happiness, so often what happens is it ends with shame. So often when you pursue your goals and your direction over every other relationship, so often when you pursue your wants and your desires over everybody else's, so often when you say, you know what, I don't care what everybody else says, I don't care how this hurts anybody else, I'm going to pursue this because it makes me happy, it leads in the end to shame. Because you realize the destruction it caused. And you realize the hurt that it caused and you realize the pain that it caused. So often we find ourselves making decisions on happiness or pleasure that leads to happiness or satisfaction that leads to happiness. And it's a temporary feeling and it's a fleeting feeling. But what stays with us longer is the feeling of shame. And so the lie that we see coming to the top is that somehow you can purchase happiness rather than you having to go to Jesus to receive the gift of joy. And someone here today might be finding themselves in a situation where they're trying to purchase happiness rather than receiving joy. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law also have a lie that they are leaning into. And the lie that they are leaning into is that they are going to achieve happiness or they're gonna pursue happiness through control. They wanna control things. And the reality is, is they, they feel very uneasy about what Jesus is teaching and talking about. And so because of that, their happiness level or quotient level has gone down because they don't have the control. And so they do what people try to do when they want to gain control and they try to manipulate and trap people. And so they're chasing happiness in this way where they're saying, hey, how can we trap Jesus? The second way that they're pursuing this happiness is in their own self-righteousness. Sometimes we can have feelings of happiness when we look around and say, hey, I might not be amazing, but I'm better than that person. And so there's this level of happiness or satisfaction that we chase to just make sure that we're better than another person or even worse, and I think this is another lie that we see in here, is that sometimes we think that the source of happiness is when somebody else has demise. 
Like, like as, if I can get trapped, this other person, if Jesus can be trapped and this woman can get what she deserves, then all of a sudden there's a level of happiness. And quite honestly, many of us can probably think of somebody in our lives that if something bad, I mean, we're not talking about like they're getting hit by a bus, but just something kind of bad happened to them, it would actually produce a level of happiness in us. Don't worry, all of us are sinners, falling short of the glory of God. So if you're thinking of somebody, <laughs> you're in good company, you're in good company. I think the challenge is, is that, again, we assume that these feelings or we assume that these uh, short um, things that we have that kind of stir up these emotions is joy, and I'm here to tell you it's a false joy. Then we have this image of Jesus and he kneels down and he begins writing something. And I have no idea what he wrote. See, some of you are like, oh, what's he, what's he write, what's he write? And some pastors have told you different things that he could, maybe, I don't know. Some people say that he wrote their sins down. Some people say that he wrote their names down. We don't know. There's nobody that definitively knows what Jesus wrote. I actually like one commentator that says that he was just trying to ignore them. I actually like that. <laughs> he was kind of saying, hey, you know what? You guys don't, still don't get it. I'm just gonna kind of blow you off in this moment. Like, you know the kid in class that doodles while somebody's trying to talk? Some of you are doing that right now. <laughs> but here you have these individuals who Jesus bends down and he starts running. And I would suggest that we shift our focus from trying to figure out what Jesus wrote and we move our focus into how these two, this person and these individuals responded. The group of religious leaders who were trying to trap Jesus, whatever he was writing in the sand, he said, the, the one who has not sinned, throw the first stone. And instead of encountering Jesus, everybody walked away. And I feel like it's a little bit, if you're familiar with scripture, like the rich young ruler who walks away sad. They did not encounter the joy of Jesus. They just simply were confronted with their sin. But this woman who was caught in the act of adultery and had to confront her sin, had an encounter with Jesus. Had her life reset because of Jesus' grace and his love. Had her eyes focused from her sin and her brokenness to a new way of living and being. In fact, Jesus just at the end of that, or at the next verse that you would read, if you continued reading on in that particular chapter, um, John chapter eight, verse 12 says this, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you, will have, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So what Jesus did in this moment for these individuals is gave them a pathway to life. And one person, person took that pathway and the other group of people just kind of walked backwards. There's something significant about light and light bringing joy. 
How many people got up? And it, I mean, again, you don't have to sleep in too late now to see the sunrise around here because it happens later and later. But how many people were up around 6.30, 6.20 this morning and saw that sunrise as it came up? It was spectacular. And as tired as I was from yesterday, when I woke up and that sun started going through, there was something that stirred in me. How many people maybe go home at night right now when it's like 4.45 and it's dark? And you go in and one of the very first things you do after you get the food together or after you're done eating dinner, if you eat, like to eat dinner early like me, like the older I get to realize that I'm really getting old, like five o'clock, man, that's when dinner should be eaten by people, right? <laughs> or is it just to keep the weight off? That might be why I'm doing it. But but after all of that, one of my favorite things to do right now is to go in. Now, putting up the Christmas tree does not give me joy. <laughs> but being able to go into my family room and sit down and click on those lights and turn all the other lights off, there's something about that that just stirs within me. Or the other night, I walked out after the third time that the launch, the Starlink launch was canceled, and uh, and I was standing out on my back porch and I was looking up at the sky and although it was completely black, there was also numerous stars. And I stood there in awe and wonder and it stirred something in me. Why? Not because I stared into the blackness, but because in the midst of the darkness, there was brilliant light. There's something about this imagery that reminds us that light leads to life. And Jesus steps into this woman's world and he steps into our world to be light in darkness. He steps into our world to remind us what you think will bring you happiness won't. But if you trust me, I will lead you to life and life to the fullest. So a couple of thoughts. First one is this. When Jesus shows up, joy shows up. When Jesus shows up into your world, joy shows up. I love this phrase um, that's in this particular text because I think it has dual meaning. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, what do you say? And essentially what they're asking is, what do you say about this law? Because we're gonna try to trap you because if you say this against Moses, then we know you're really not the Messiah, you're really not the teacher. You're not even a rabbi that people should be following. And while these individuals are trying to trap Jesus with this question, I think there's a woman sitting there in all of her shame and brokenness that is also interested in what Jesus is going to say about her. And I think for most people today, you're not gathering here to find out what the law of Moses says about you, but what you are gathered here today is what does Jesus say about me? What does Jesus say about me in all of my brokenness? What does Jesus say about me in all of my shame? What does Jesus say about me when he knows my past and he knows my sin and he knows my hurt and he knows my suffering and he knows everything that I've done? What does Jesus say about me? And I can tell you this, that Jesus says that he radically loves you. Amen. Radically loves you. Do you believe that when Jesus shows up, joy shows up. Because when you look at you and you think about the fact 
that Jesus loves you and offers freedom to you. It should stir up joy in you. See, some people focus on that last line also, and they're like, how does that produce joy? When he looks at the woman, he basically says, I don't condemn you either. He sets her free. There's a tenderness and a love and a compassion to him, but then he utters these words, go and sin no more. See, I think we hear that last part. We're like, well, how is that loving? Because Jesus, let me back up and say this. We see that command as a barrier to our happiness. That's the problem. We are like, hold on, you told me to go and sin no more. Well, how can I live and not sin and be happy But if you really start to process that your happiness does not lead to joy, does not lead to life, your sin does not actually lead to happiness, it actually leads to shame. And so Jesus is not giving you one more thing to do and he's not giving you a barrier to your happiness. He's actually giving you the pathway to joy, the pathway to freedom, the pathway to walk in his light, to walk in his life. I heard a pastor say it this way one time, make a sandwich. I'm like, make a sandwich? What's he talking about? He said, make a sandwich. And then he goes on to say this. A man was found dead in a grocery store. I'm like, okay, tell me more. How'd the man die? Starvation. Did the man have money? Yes. Was there food in the grocery store? Yes. And the man starved or died of starvation? Yes. Well, then why didn't he just make a sandwich? I know that sounds a bit silly, but it sounds silly with intention because Jesus has offered his grace and his love to you unconditionally. And as he has invited you into relationship with him. And he said, he has reminded us that in our pursuit of happiness through the things of this world and through sin, that the enemy has only come to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. And he's provided it all and said, all you have to do is receive it. And some of us will still die of starvation rather than make the sandwich. And here's what actually produces the joy that we're talking about. I love what Henry Nouwen says. Let me read it to you. It says, joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, turn to your neighbor and say nothing. Let that soak in for a moment. You are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, and even death can take that love away. See, most of us have never been loved like that. 
Most of us have been loved by condition. Most of us have been loved or have feelings of love only when we somehow um, have a kind of pleasure or something of that nature. But what Jesus is saying is, I want you to enter into a relationship with me and I am gonna go so radically love, love you that you will, be, you will feel and experience safe, a, a safetyness in my presence that you have never experienced. This woman enters into Jesus' presence and she, her fears are quickly subsided because of how Jesus loves her. Her worth changes because of how Jesus loves her. Her future radically is altered because of how Jesus loves her. She responds to his love. Number two, joy is grounded in what is present and future. Joy is grounded in what is present and future. And so we celebrate Advent because we know what Jesus has done and we lean into this idea and there's a joy that's produced in us. If we sat here for the next several hours and we had people go around and share their testimony, many people would share a testimony and it would sound something like this. When I was 15, when I was 20, when I was 30, and they would go on to give you the details and circumstances that surrounded them. Some of them might say, hey, I didn't discover the joy of Jesus until I was 60, 70, or 80, but they would tell the circumstances around when they had encountered Jesus, when they experienced the love of Jesus, and there would be a remembering of what Jesus had done in their life, how they went from death to life, how they went from brokenness to healed, how they experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, and it would stir joy within them. And so there's a joy that, is, that happens in the present when we remember what Jesus has done for us. But there's also a joy that happens in thinking about what Jesus is going to do. That one day he will return and he will set this world to rights. That one day he will return and all things will be made new. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, I feel like I'm in that last quarter mile of running my half marathon. If you've ever run a half marathon or a marathon, you know what I'm talking about. When you're kind of on, you know, the last three or four miles, that's when it gets really hard and you're having to push through. But all of a sudden at the end, you're about a quarter mile away and there's usually a sign that tells you that and you know the finish line is in sight. And what do you do? You have just ran and you've gone mile after mile and you're tired and you're exhausted and your mouth is parched and you're ready for a banana and all of those things, and you pick up your pace because you get excited about what's coming. Church, I think something that we need to do as the body of Christ is to pick up our pace because we have an idea of what is coming. And when the world looks at the church, do we look like a people that are looking at the chaos of this world and the brokenness and the sin of this world as if there's nothing anybody can do? Or are we a church that has picked up its pace because we know what Jesus is capable of and what he is going to do? Three, our relationship with joy is active, not passive. Our relationship with joy is active, not passive. See, some of us are like, all right, Jesus, just joy me. I can tell some of you, he has not done that for you yet. And there are moments where I can tell you that that's just not how it works. 
The Spirit gifts us joy, and it's not something that we can produce on our own, but it is something that we can cultivate and receive. Again, Prophet Bono this time said this, joy is an act of defiance. When we find ourselves in a world that is looking at all the chaos and all the brokenness and all the sin and saying there's nothing anybody can do, when we live in a world that their only constant pursuit is happiness, joy is an act of defiance. So how do we cultivate? You can't produce it, but you can position yourself to cultivate it, to grow it, to allow Jesus to do it. A couple of ways. First one is this, posture. I know it sounds really weird. Not like, hey, like, you know, your parent telling you to grow up, stand up straighter. That's not what we're talking about. When we find ourselves surrendering to Jesus, we experience more joy. I know that's counterintuitive. And so when we find ourselves gathering together and when you find yourselves worshiping Jesus and when you find yourselves posturing and kneeling before Jesus intentionally, there's something that is produced in you that the spirit does within you. There's something about posture. And so I wanna encourage you that when we gather in spaces like this for you to think about, hey, I want to cultivate joy because you might walk in here and some of you parents, I can see it on your faces, getting here This morning was not joyful. (laughs) And so we don't always walk into spaces like this feeling joyful. So how do you cultivate joy? You posture yourself in a posture of surrender. You lift up your hands, you sing. In fact, the second thing that I want you to consider about cultivating joy is that when we sing together, Joy is produced. Even Elf knew that. (laughs) But there's something, there is something about it. When you come into spaces like this, no matter what's been happening through the week, when you start to sing, when you start to lift your hands, when you start to posture yourself before God in particular ways, you position yourself. It is not a genie in a bottle. God, I'm gonna do this so that you'll produce this. What you do is you position yourself in order to receive what God has for you, to cultivate joy Joy is not just about feelings, but it does include feelings. Let me say that again, because some people are like, well, joy, again, it's just like socks and underwear at Christmas. No, no, no. Joy, there's something joyful about being filled with joy. A third area you might want to consider, God delights when you walk in not only his ways, but you walk in your own giftedness. So when you do what you were created to do, it produces joy in us. There's something that's joyous cultivated in us. Now, I get it. Some of us have to do um, something for um, money or income, but that doesn't always bring us joy. So if that doesn't bring you joy, if that maybe is something you're doing for a paycheck, I want to encourage you to find some other hobby or thing in your life that cultivates joy that you go, no, 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 no. I might do that for money, but I do this because I was created for it. I encourage you to find something that God has gifted you in because when you step into that giftedness, it cultivates and stirs up joy within you. And this one, this last one's difficult. When you're cultivating joy, you're gonna have to make space to cultivate it. 
I love this line. I don't know who said it. It was unknown, but I think it's really, really good. And you're going to want to write this down because I think it speaks to our culture so well. Time is made, not found. Some of you are waiting around to cultivate joy or to build a relationship with Jesus or to build a relationship with your spouse or build a relationship with your kid until you find time. You will never find time, but you can make time. You can carve out space in your life to cultivate joy. And then finally, let your life communicate joy. When you think about this Christmas season, there's gonna be people who are going to be communicating and transmitting all types of things. You're gonna encounter people who in this particular season, what they're gonna transmit or what they're gonna communicate is their suffering because grief has taken so much a hold of their heart and they have no joy. Now, you can grieve and be joyful and hold those things in tension. You don't have, neither one of those is exclusive. You can hold those things in tension. But you will find people that the only thing that they're transmitting or the only thing they're communicating is their suffering or their hurt or their pain. You will find people that the only thing that they're gonna transmit this, this year is their bitterness. The only thing they're gonna transmit this year is their anger and frustration at the world and what's going on in the world, that it's awful. You're gonna find people that are going to be Eeyore. If you don't know any Eeyores, you might be Eeyore. <laughs> but you might find all of this and you're, and you're asking yourself, okay, and why do we say this? When people ask you, and I, I'm guilty of this, when people ask me, hey, well, how's how things going? Well, I'm just busy. I'm just busy. That's the default. I'm busy, I'm stressed, I'm frustrated, I'm this, I'm that. What if the response of believers, not only this time of year, but what if the response of believers, because we were cultivating joy, because we were living into this idea of joy, because we were allowing ourselves to be grounded in the love of Jesus, which produces joy. What if the response of the people we were talking to, we didn't even have to say anything, but when they walked away from a conversation with us, the only plausible idea or response for why we were producing joy was they must have spent time with Jesus. Even people maybe that didn't know would be asking, hey, why are you so joyful? Because I've spent time with Jesus. I've stepped into his presence. I've acknowledged that he is uh, not only with me when I'm gathered at church, but he's with me when I'm in my car and he's with me at my house and he's with me at work and he's with me wherever I am. I am constantly in the presence of Jesus. And because I am constantly in the presence of Jesus, I'm constantly being reminded that I am radically and authentically loved. And because I'm constantly in the, in the presence of Jesus, he is shaping me in his ways and his ways lead to life. And because I am constantly in the presence of Jesus, I not only know that I'm radically loved and I not only am being shaped by him, but I am stepping into my calling and I am stepping into my giftedness and I am doing the things that he has called me to do. And so you wanna know why I am filled with joy? Because I've spent time with Jesus. That's where this woman was. Maybe it wasn't her intention to be there, but when she got there, she encountered Jesus. And that encounter produces joy. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning.
And I want you to take a moment of silent reflection. Just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in this particular moment. What does God wanna say? God, we are so unused to silence that it feels awkward. And yet, God, we need these moments where we slow down and we quiet our hearts and we quiet the noise around us so we can listen. And God, I'm thankful that through your word, you communicate your words to us. Your words that remind us that we are authentically and radically loved by you, that we are your beloved. That when we walk in your ways, they lead to life. And so these aren't obligations. These aren't heavy-handed. They're invitations to trust you. And to walk in your ways, believing that your ways are different. And your patterns and rhythms of life are different. But they are the light we need to be led out of darkness. And so God, today I pray that if there's anybody who has, not, who has never encountered you, that they would consider today, God, not dying of starvation, but instead receiving your gift of life. You've offered your forgiveness. You've offered your mercy. You've offered them your love. You've offered them your ways and how to walk in your ways, God. I pray that they would receive those gifts of love grace, mercy in your ways and they would begin to follow you. So God, we thank you for that we don't just encounter you through the words on the page of scripture but we encounter you by your spirit and I'm trusting that your spirit is stirring in some of us this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're not familiar or or haven't been at New Life in a bit, one of the things we encourage you to do is to take a moment and a pause before you walk out those doors. And if the Lord 
and the Spirit is stirring something in you, we have a prayer team that would love to pray for you. If you wanna know how you can follow Jesus or how you can maybe receive that gift of forgiveness that Jesus offers to you, someone would love to talk to you about that and just invite you to come forward at the end. And We have a prayer team that would love to walk you through that and encourage you with that. If you take that breath and you're like, hey, you know what? I feel like the Spirit's done speaking in this particular moment, then go Sabbath well and uh, spend time with your family and celebrate and cultivate joy today. So as you leave today, may you go as a people who don't chase happiness, but allow the grace, love, and forgiveness of God through Christ Jesus to produce joy in your life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.